Welcome to Labors for the Lord, the podcast dedicated to the Word of God. We hope that this blesses you and inspires you to seek the promises and the love that the Lord has for you. Now, here's your host, Craig Majors. All right, welcome to another episode. Hope everyone is having a blessed day today. Uh, hope everyone had a blessed Memorial Day yesterday. We had some really amazing weather here in Tennessee and very thankful for that. I, I do want to give a big thank you uh, to all those who have sacrificed for our country and, and for our freedoms that we have. So so thank you to all who have served and, and to all that continue to serve. Thank you so much for, for all that you do and just know that my prayers are with each and every one of you. So today... I'm going to be looking at, at Matthew, and um, I think we're just going to do like an overview, uh, not not like a real in-depth study or, or anything like that, just kind of hitting on some key passages, and might actually have to break this up into two parts, not sure yet, but um, I'll give a word of prayer, and, and we'll just get right into this. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, to thank you for this day, and thank you for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, and, and the revelation of your truth. And we just ask and pray, Lord, that uh, that your word would speak to our hearts, Lord, and, and that you would grant us the, the knowledge and the wisdom to attain your, your word, Lord, and that we would just apply it to our lives every day, Lord. We love you so much and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. So Matthew. Matthew is the, uh, it's the first uh, gospel in the New Testament. Um, most Bible experts, uh, they, they say that Mark actually holds the place of being the first gospel written. Um, but, but Matthew, uh, it picks up where the Jewish Bible leaves off. Uh, Malachi closes the Old Testament with a promise that God will send a Messiah to fix Israel's problems and, and bring peace and joy to the people. And so, Matthew opens the New Testament by declaring this promise uh, from centuries past that it is it is now fulfilled that the Messiah has come, and uh, Matthew does it pretty convincingly, uh, quoting one ancient Jewish prophecy prophecy after another and explaining how Jesus fulfills each each of those prophecies, uh, fifty seven in all, and I think Mark. Uh, comes in second with 30 prophecies. And uh, Matthew and the other Gospels, they, they, they go to great lengths to convince readers that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, but Jesus is not what anyone expected. The, the Jews are actually looking for a warrior. Uh, they in, anticipated a, a new kingdom of Israel, but, but they got the spiritual kingdom of God. And Jews then and now, they point to a list of uh, failed expectations, uh, promises that Jesus didn't meet. But Matthew and the other Gospels point to fulfilled prophecies, uh, insightful teachings and miracles to convince Jews and others of faith that their expectations were actually off the mark, that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to fix the world, to save the world. Uh, he's the one who uh, Israel's last prophet in, in in the book of Malachi, I believe, chapter four, says, you know, he will rise with healing in his wings. And so, when we look at Matthew here, uh, chapter one, it, it starts with a, a genealogy. 
And Matthew's genealogy is a legal document. And by comparing it to other genealogies, Jews of that day, they could confirm that Jesus met the ancestral requirements for the Messiah. He was a Jew descended from Abraham, and, and he was a contender for Israel's throne since he was related to King David. Now, Matthew's genealogy, uh, it includes women. And most genealogies of, of that time didn't. And what's even more odd is Matthew's women aren't even uh, the notable ones like uh, Sarah and, and Rachel, who were ancestral mothers of Jews. He actually spotlights what some would consider uh, the rotten apples, like Tamar, who had twins by her father-in-law. And that's in the book of Genesis uh, 38, if you want to read up on that. Uh, Rahab, uh, the Jericho prostitute who helped the Israelite spies, and that's in Joshua chapter 2. And Ruth, an Arab who became uh, King David's great-grandmother, is in Ruth chapter 4. And uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who had an affair with David, and that is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So, Scholars debate why Matthew included these women, and one guess is that it shows God is capable of working through anyone, you know, even the most unusual people, and that includes, you know, uh, the young Virgin Mary, uh, uh, Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba. God is capable of all things. He is sovereign over all things. Amen. So let's jump to, you know, Matthew chapter 2 and uh, we see that the wise men are, are coming from the eastern lands and arrive in Jerusalem and, you know, asking about the newborn king and how they saw his star. And, and you know, were there three wise men? That's, that's just a guess. It grows out of the number of gifts that Matthew says they brought, uh, gold, frankincense, and, and, and myrrh. And so these, these wise men... Uh, you know, I would imagine they would have been shocked to discover that Herod, uh, king of the Jews, he didn't have a newborn son, probably figuring that's who uh, who this king would be. Uh, but given Herod's habit of killing off his competition, um, including two of his own sons and his wife, uh, they were probably and should have been terrified. Uh, since they came to honor a competing king, but fortunately for them, Herod decides not to kill the to, to kill them, and instead he uses them like detectives to find uh, his next target. And Herod's Bible scholars say that that Micah predicted the Messiah would would come from Bethlehem. So Herod sends these uh, these men asking them to report back, but <laughs> but they don't, and. Uh, God warns them in a dream to, to go home another way. So Herod responds with a, a vicious order to, to kill all the Bethlehem boys aged two and under. And Joseph is warned of this in a dream and, and takes off, flees with his family to Egypt, where they stay until Herod, uh, Herod dies. And if Herod died soon afterward, then the story of the wise men may have taken place the year he died, uh, which was 4 BC. 
And if Jesus was two years old at that time, as Herod's execution order might suggest, then Jesus could have been born in 6 or 7 B.C. So, let's see. Let's jump to uh, yeah, chapter 3. So, skipping the next 30 years in Jesus' life, uh, Matthew jumps to the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, which is marked by two events, baptism and temptation. And there's a prophet named John the Baptist, and he is baptizing people who confess their sins. And uh, Jesus is baptized, and uh, perhaps Jesus is showing everyone the path he wants them to, to follow. And Jesus goes a step further in identifying with people that he came to save. He, he walks into the wilderness where Satan tempts him, and Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted of Satan. Uh, and Satan, in an effort to get Jesus to worship him, he, he uses uh, some of the same general uh, enticements that every human faces, you know, comfort and power. Uh, he asked Jesus at one point to uh, to turn stones into bread to satisfy Jesus's uh, appetite during his spiritual fast and offers him, you know, to be worshipped by the entire world and all these things. But but Jesus uh, refuses and remains focused on his mission. And then let's see, chapter five. And this is. Uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Jesus, you know, Jesus moves from his hometown of Nazareth and he moves to a fishing village of uh, Capernaum. And this village is it's on the banks of a huge lake called the Sea of Galilee. And five of Jesus's dozen disciples live in this area. Uh, there's the fishermen brothers, Peter and Andrew, and the fishermen brothers, uh, James and John. And then there's tax collector, Matthew. And on one of the hills, Jesus preaches what is perhaps one of the most famous sermons in history, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and in a way, during the sermon, Jesus is, is uh, flipping conventional wisdom upside down. Uh, rich folks can afford the most expensive objects on earth, but uh, in Matthew 5, you know, it says that God blesses those who are you know, poor and, and realize their need for him and that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, and there's, you know, there's aggressive go-getters who, um, you know, they can, they, they can reach success. You know, they can get little clumps of success here and there. But, but Matthew 5 tells us that God blesses those, you know, who are humble and that they will inherit the earth. Um, let's see. Let's jump all the way to uh, Matthew 14. Let's go there. Well, that's a big jump, but Matthew 14. So, let's see. So, Jesus, he develops a pretty big following because he is a he, he's an incredible attraction. And his teachings don't sound like those of other rabbis. But they, his teachings ring true to the best of, of Jewish tradition and to the sense of everything good and right and just. And what he teaches may not be the way most Jews live their lives, but it's the way they want to live. 
and the way they know God wants them to live. So crowds are drawn to Jesus because of his words. And obviously miracles don't hurt, don't hurt to the, the draw either. And Jesus heals people everywhere he goes. He heals lepers. Uh, he heals the blind, uh, the crippled, and even you know the, the demon-possessed. He even heals a, uh, a Roman officer's paralyzed servant from long distance. Jesus tells the officer, you know, just go back home because you believed it's, it's done. And if you want to read about that, uh, I believe that's in Matthew chapter eight. And so Jesus walks from place to place and, and crowds follow him. And even when he needs a, a break, they're still, you know, right on his heels. And, and once he actually slips away in a boat, but the people follow along the shoreline in a, in a massive crowd of 5,000 men, and I don't believe that's counting women and children. Um, so, you know, probably the equivalent of several villages. And they catch up with Jesus in, in a remote area. And Jesus heals some of their sick, and then evening approaches. And so the disciples advise Jesus to send the crowds away so they can buy food somewhere. But instead, Jesus suggests a potluck. And this is something that the disciples have already considered and, and rejected. Uh, five loaves of bread and two fish were all that they had. And, you know, that was barely, that was going to be nowhere near enough to, to fill everyone's stomachs. So in a miracle, Jesus shows his power over creation. He, he blesses the food. The disciples uh, distribute it in the crowd of at least 5,000, perhaps more eats to their fill, and the disciples collect a dozen baskets of leftovers, one for each disciple. Amazing. Uh, Matthew 16. So, perhaps, you know, to get away from the crowds, Jesus and his disciples, they, they take a walk um, north of the Sea of Galilee, and they go into a non-Jewish area called Caesarea Philippi. And there, Jesus, he asked his disciples who the people say he is. And they answer that some say he's John the Baptist back from the dead. And that's what the Galilean ruler Herod uh, said, you know, probably guilt-ridden because he had had John the Baptist's head cut off. He had him beheaded. And Herod seems that for certain that Jesus is John and in Matthew 14, you know, he even says that this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead, and this is why he can do such miracles. And <coughs> excuse me. And others say that Jesus is a prophet, you know, uh, that he's the, the prophet Elijah returning from heaven is predicted to prepare the way, you know, for the promised Messiah. But Jesus says, you know, he asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers and says, uh, you are Christ, the son of the living God. You know, and this was apparent, you know, uh, from the virgin birth uh, at Jesus's baptism. Uh, there was a voice from the sky that declared, you know, this is my son and who am I, who I'm well pleased. And if you want to read in on that, that's Matthew chapter three. So Jesus blesses Peter as rabbis, you know, they often did when a student gave a correct answer to an important question. And Simon was Peter's name until Jesus invited him to become a, a disciple. And then he renamed him Peter, a word that means rock. And Jesus says, you know, you are my rock. 
and on the, this rock I will build build my church. Uh, let's see. We'll jump to. Let's see. We'll go to Matthew seventeen. So, Jesus's ministry it, it, it lasts about three years, and that's an estimate based on the number of times that he seems to have gone to Jerusalem for festivals. And as the end approaches, he starts telling his disciples about what's coming, that, you know, he'll be killed in Jerusalem, but he'll rise from the dead after three days. And a week after Peter declares Jesus the Son of God, uh, he sees evidence, even more evidence, of it that, that's probably more remarkable than anything uh, he has seen so far. Jesus takes his closest friends, he takes Peter, James, and John, to an unidentified mountain. And uh, some scholars, you know, they guess this mountain was Mount uh, Hermon near Caesarea Philippi. It's the highest in the region and in the snow melt source of water for the Jordan River. But early church leaders say, you know, that it's Mount uh, Tabor or Tabor, not sure how you pronounce that, um, which is near Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. And as the disciples watch, Jesus seems to transform into a celestial being. He glows. And Bible writers sometimes describe angels and God that way, shimmering with light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appear and they start talking with Jesus, you know, as though, you know, as though they all know each other. I could not imagine seeing that. But uh now on on uh, there's a church that is on the top of Mount Tabor Tabor however you say that where early Christians said Jesus you know transformed this was the Mount of Transfiguration but there is a church there now and I think it was built in the early four um, hundreds uh, uh, shortly after the Romans legalized Christianity. All right, let's see how much time we got here. All right, we'll, we'll look at one more chapter. We'll look at chapter 21. So on the last Sunday uh, before his death, Jesus climbs onto a donkey. And this donkey is a loner borrowed from a village, um, probably from Bethany, which I believe is about a mile from Jerusalem. And Jesus knows the prophecy about Israel's Messiah arriving on a donkey. Uh, that's in Zechariah chapter 9. And so Jesus arranges to fulfill this prophecy. So leading a huge group of followers, Jesus, uh, he enters into Jerusalem. And, you know, crowds are gathered for, you know, the what is the biggest festival of the year, Passover, uh, springtime holiday commemorating God's deliverance of the Jews from uh, slavery in Egypt. And, and it's it's an exciting time, but even more so this year because of Jesus. You know, the Jews have been praying and praying for a deliverer, you know, a Messiah from King David's family. And they expected the Messiah to deliver them from slavery once again, this time uh, from their Roman occupiers. And Jesus is that deliverer. And many believe that. So they, they greet him like a king, spreading cloaks and palm leaves on the path before him. And they, they cheer him on. Hosanna, Hosanna, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, Hosanna, I, I believe, means save us. 
Um, so they're cheering Jesus on. And, uh, and, and, you know, many believe that, that he, he was the Messiah, which he was. Um, but also there, there were some who they just didn't accept it and, and they didn't believe it. But I think, let's see, I think we'll just end right there and then I'll do another episode. We'll pick up on Matthew 24. Yeah, I'll do another episode on this and we'll pick up in Matthew 24 and, and, and finish this out. Um, but I think any of you guys who, who tune into this, you know, I'm just trying to do something to, uh, to be of some help, uh, and just hope that it blesses anyone who listens and, and inspires people to maybe pick up that dusty Bible that you have on your nightstand or on a bookshelf somewhere. And, um, I just, I pray for each and every one of you. Um, I love each and every one of you and, um, I hope you have a blessed evening and, and a blessed night and and uh, just pray that you look uh, to the Lord to lead you in, in all the ways that you go. God bless.